Hello and welcome as you join us here on Search for Truth. It's great to have your company with our Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Today Brian brings us talk number five in this series about grandparents and this time it's a great-grandmother, the great-grandmother of King David, no less. So let's see what lessons are revealed from this study of this Bible character now with Brian. Thank you, John. During a time of famine, an Israelite family take matters into their own hands and exit from the land of God's promise. Perhaps they lived in the land of Moab longer than they'd originally intended. It was certainly long enough for their two sons to find wives there. But tragedy struck, and all the menfolk died, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, one of whom was called Ruth. Much later, Naomi hears there's food once again in their homeland, and so they finally head back. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi appears to be in meltdown. Try to pick up on the five complaints she expresses regarding God's dealings with her. She says in chapter 1 verse 13, The hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. That's the first complaint. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That's the second. I went out full, she said, but the Lord has brought me back empty. That's number three. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me? There's the fourth. And the Almighty has afflicted me. That's number five. On the other hand, Ruth's reply to her mother-in-law, who has tried to persuade her to remain behind in Moab, is as follows. Try this time to listen out for five affirmations Ruth gives to Naomi. From verse 16 she says, Do not urge me to leave you, or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Did you spot how Ruth positively identifies with Naomi's going, with her lodging, with her people, with her God, and with her burial place in time to come? We'll come back to this point, but it's worth reflecting on whether there are lessons we can draw for our own times of adversity from here. How can we be like Ruth and not like Naomi? Specifically, how can we avoid becoming bitter, as Naomi freely confesses herself to be now? But let's leave that thought hanging for the moment and continue to focus purely on the information we can pick up from the first two chapters, and for the moment ignoring the ending of the story that we probably know so well. I want to ask you, what do you think is the ending that we are being led to expect up until this point? In chapter 1, Naomi is determined to return alone. If that's the case, must she not have assumed she'd be the one to remarry and so provide an heir for the family land to remain in their possession? She even talks that way when she says, If I should even have a husband tonight... I think we can assume Naomi was still of childbearing age. Next, consider the clue in the first verse of the second chapter. 
It's there we are told Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Notice, of course, he's described as Naomi's kinsman or relative. This was a meaningful way of referring to Boaz under the provisions of the Old Testament law for God's people. If you fell into financial difficulty back in those days, you could appeal for help from a close relative. This person, if they were the one to help you, would become known as your kinsman redeemer. To redeem means to buy back, as from a pawn shop. It was this person's expected family duty to buy land that you were being forced to sell due to hardship. It was also lawful for such a man to marry his brother's widow, to raise up those of the next generation who would own and farm the land. Land in Israel was kept in the tribal families in this way. But the point here is Boaz is Naomi's kinsman. We are being prepared for him to fulfil his duty towards Naomi. This is because the first verse chooses to shine a spotlight on Naomi and who Boaz was in relation to her. However, Ruth is the one to go out to work on behalf of her mother-in-law and herself. And it turns out that she ends up in a field that actually belongs to Boaz, who is harvesting his crops. Poor people in those days were allowed to help themselves to any of the leftovers. Boaz notices her and inquires as to who she is, only to be told by the servant in charge of the reapers. She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Boaz was already up to speed concerning Naomi's circumstances. He shares this in his conversation with Ruth. In chapter 2 and verse 11, Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Still, in everything Boaz says, his focus and reference point is Naomi, his relative. After all, the younger woman, Ruth, is a stranger to him. A careful reader quickly notices that while Boaz certainly appreciated Ruth's sterling qualities, his heart tended more to Naomi. Naomi was, after all, his kin, the wife of his relative, a part of his world and his heritage. According to the plain sense of the verses, Naomi was still fertile and not much older than Ruth, perhaps in her mid-thirties. Even if Naomi was older, she was a more fitting partner for the twilight of Boaz's life. Perhaps we could say Naomi was a natural, Ruth was a gamble. We find that Boaz appreciated and praised Ruth for what she has done for Naomi. When Ruth returns home in the evening with food for them both, Naomi asks how she had got on and in whose field she had ended up working. Ruth explains, to which Naomi replies happily, she said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. At the beginning of the second chapter, we've observed how the first verse uses an intentional ambiguity, for it can be read as suggesting that Boaz was to be a husband for Naomi. If so, we might expect Naomi to reach out to Boaz, 
but she doesn't. Instead, and here comes the twist in the tale, Naomi prepares Ruth to present herself to Boaz as a claimant for the right of being redeemed. In effect, it was a proposal of marriage. And Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is there not Boaz, our kinsman? It's all handled in a rather secretive or hush-hush way. And that's my point again. For if it was expected or natural that Ruth would be the proposer, why the secrecy of chapter 3? Something intriguing is happening here. Providence led her to him, but Naomi assisted. I just want to pause and say that the, the book of Ruth is not really the romantic storyline that it's often made out to be. These are business transactions, in effect, and it's unexpected when Ruth is ushered into the frame in Naomi's place. Why the twist in the tale of the tale? Naomi was still fertile, we assume, a better match by age for Boaz, closer to the situation of Deuteronomy 25 verse 5, and the actual owner of the field. So why is Ruth seen as being more appropriate? It has to be said that even Naomi, who self-sacrificingly puts her forward to great honour, appears to see Ruth as the more appropriate person. Why does Naomi do this? Might it be that Naomi has come to see Ruth as a more worthy person than herself? We began by highlighting the contrast between Naomi's bitter complaints against God's dealings with her over against the very virtuous and positive commitment Ruth makes to Naomi. Ruth is described in the book as a virtuous woman, a woman of some substance. This is as the focus abruptly shifts to Ruth. Even at the point that Boaz commits to Ruth, he is still thinking of Naomi. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto your mother-in-law. Naomi could have had Boaz, but in an act of profound selflessness, she put Ruth forward instead. Why did Naomi do this? Was it simply the sense of gratitude and obligation that the older woman felt for the younger one, her who had left her people and her land to share Naomi's fate? Or was it the sense she felt that Ruth was more suited to play the role that history had prepared for Boaz? Naomi knew Ruth, and she understood Boaz, for Ruth and Boaz shared a quality that perhaps Naomi herself felt that she no longer possessed. Significantly, Boaz describes Ruth with the same words that the verse describes him. Boaz is a man of valour, and Ruth is a woman of valour. But, we ask, is Naomi not a closer relative for triggering the marriage rite? Is she not the actual owner of the field that Boaz is supposed to redeem? Is she not the one who should have more fittingly given birth to the messianic king than Ruth, the stranger, the Moabite? Why the switch over? We must ask, to what purpose did Scripture recount Naomi's breakdown upon return to Bethlehem? On the surface, it contributes little to the story. In truth, however, it is essential. Yes, Naomi would have been perfect for Boaz, but in a sense, Naomi no longer existed. 
In her place, by her own testimony, there now stood another woman, weighed down by suffering, embittered and not at peace with God, a woman called Mara. On the other hand, Ruth has dedicated herself to the God whom she knew only as the one who'd taken away her husband and withheld children from her womb. David and the Jewish people needed an ancestor such as this. Did Boaz, Naomi and Ruth understand that Ruth was suited to be a mother of Obed, the grandfather of King David, in a way that Naomi could no longer be? I remind you once more that we have a free transcript book for this series. It's available to you by asking for the title Grandparents. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Also look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org. And we're excited that this will give you yet another excellent way of accessing these programmes again that you heard on air. Unfortunately, that's almost all we have time for. But I hope you found Brian's study helpful and interesting. We do appreciate the interest you take in our programmes. Next week, we'll be learning from yet another biblical grandparent, so please join us if you can. Until next time, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So uh, bye for now, and may God richly bless you. Bye.